Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Into battle. And life is color and warmth and light. And a striving evermore for these. And he is dead who will not fight. And who dies fighting has increase. The fighting man shall take from the sun. Take warmth and life from the glowing earth. Speed with the light foot winds to run. And with the trees to newer birth. And find when fighting shall be done, great rest and fullness after dearth. The blackbirds sing to him, brother, brother. If this be the last song you shall sing, sing well, for you may not sing another. Brother, sing. And when the burning moment breaks, and all things else are out of mind, and only joy of battle takes him by the throat and makes him blind. The thundering line of battle stands, and in the air death moans and sings. But day shall clasp him with strong hands, and night shall fold him in soft wings. In addition to being the first poem that I ever liked in my whole life, that is the start of one of the most unique books ever written. On Combat. While definitely filled with lessons on combat, stress inoculation, how to be a man, one of the biggest lessons that uh, this book taught me is that the world isn't coldly rational. Relationships exist, and stepping back and strategically playing the game is required. It was many moons ago. I was a freshman at DePauw University. Now, if you can believe it, I didn't used to plan or be organized at all. You know, I was just a roving wildfire covered in human skin. I'd wait until the last moment on everything. I thought that success was just like, just just getting the itch and then winging it better. I never prepared. I didn't even know that mattered. And all I really did actually care about was martial arts. So I had months and months and months to pick my freshman seminar class. And I'm telling you, I waited till the last hour that I was conceivably allowed to pick. And by that time, uh, turns out, the only fucking seminar that I was able to get in was led by the actual chair of the English department, a German lady who I was unable to charm even with my fluency at German. And this was like an in-depth feminist literature class where we talked about human sexuality, but there, it was only words. There's no pictures. Now, compare that to my two other friends who planned better and they took the philosophy of combat where I was having to read bullshit and then be hazed at my lack of professionalism and writing ability. My friends were reading, no joke, The Art of War, The Book of Five Rings. They got to learn sword fighting. I, I This is, I'm pretty sure, a true story. The, the martial arts instructor who taught them the sword fighting part portion of their class regaled them with stories of his times of being a bouncer and he had killed someone 
with a pool ball. You know, he, he tried to stop the fight. He hucked the pool ball, hit him in the face, killed him. And, and me, and this is a quote, Troy, I'm not saying that you can't disagree with someone who has a PhD, but uh, you at least have to give him a bit more credit on his philosophy of art. That was the feedback that I got. And, I, and, and it took all of my willpower to say, yeah, well, here's my philosophy on art. It's retarded. How about that? You want me to write that up and print it out on letterhead or can you remember it? But I held it in. I didn't say that one. But the crowning blow was when I saw this book on my friend's desk on combat. And I'm like, hey, man, what's that? That's pretty interesting. He's like, oh, it's for my freshman seminar. And I'm like, well, there's no way I can read another page of the presentation of human sexuality in 1800s bird watchers. Can I please read this book? Can I just borrow your book and read it? And actually, from that moment on, I learned that going on to ratemyprofessor.com, picking the best professor, you know, trying to trying to like game the system is equally, if not more important to what class you're in and how smart you're in. And it actually turns out that's actually like about exactly the, the truth on life too. You know, it's better to have a, a good product and a good sales territory and suck than to be the best person ever trying to sell horse and buggies. But I also learned that this book was like nothing I'd ever seen before. A wise old samurai, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, pioneers a graduate level study of combat, applying scientific rigor to the oldest human pastime, unwinding certain old wives' tales, but then confirming others. I found this book applicable to martial arts, but also to performing in any high pressure situation. And I read this book at the time when I thought I was going to be a professional fighter, so I was stealing my mind for one-on-one -on -one unarmed combat. And uh, this podcast is sponsored, I'm going to throw it out, sponsored by White Claw. The Claw is the law. But after broadening my focus, and I'm officially now a human, I realized that um, this book is critical for just anybody who wants to even be a Kusemono. Because what is combat, if not the act of performing inhuman feats of precision, endurance, strength, and decision-making in the hardest environment that human ingenuity could ever invent? You know, what's, what is the biggest sales call you've ever been on compared to having to draw your pistol and fire two shots into the chest of one enemy and then, oh my God, there's another enemy and having to do that? What is deer hunting? compared to having to stay cool, calm, and collected when the deer's shooting back. But just like a death metal vocalist, they just already have the skills to give the world's most inspiring pre-battle speech. If we're able to perform under combat stress, we'll be able to perform under any pressure the world can throw at us. And finally, for some of us, those responsibly armed Americans, those defenders of our families, those men who, when something goes bump in the night, don't have the option of pussying out and crying, and even just through fucking shame and gender stereotypes, we have to go check what that scary noise is. If we understand what we might have to go through in a self-defense situation, we can be more prepared if that fateful event ever happens. If that red flag flies and we ever have to see the elephant, it'd be really nice 
to be proficient at elephant hunting. So who is Lieutenant Colonel Grossman? Now I don't I'm not in the military, so I don't really know how this works. So so Colonel Cooper and Lieutenant Colonel Grossman. I don't know if he's higher or lower than Colonel Cooper, but I I feel like Colonel is owned by Colonel Cooper, so I'm going to call him Dave. Now that might be might be very disrespectful, but I mean it from a point of ignorance and love. So Dave is an internationally recognized scholar, soldier, and speaker, the world's foremost expert in the field of human aggression and the roots of violence and violent crime. He was a former West Point West Point professor and army ranger, and he created the discipline of, I kid you not, killology, the study of killing. Uh, I, do, I, I love the simplicity. Uh, you know, as we saw with that um, expertise and expert performance uh, episode, it's it, there's this grinding organizational pressure to make things really fucking complicated. So, you know, I can just imagine him talking to his PhD advisor and it's like, so, David, uh, are you thinking of calling this an important work a, a treatise on interpersonal aggression in the context of strategic and tactical engagements and the mediating mechanisms to ultimately successful outcomes? Well, sir, uh, that's a great idea, but I was, actu- I was actually thinking of opting for something a little simpler. Oh, yeah? What do you have in mind? Uh, what about Killology? <laughs> I can't believe he ever got this published. The Savagery. He's trained thousands of people. He's served on the prosecuting team against the Unabomber, and he is slanging online courses on his website where I was just doing a little research, and I have to, I have to say, full credit, his checkout workflow is so legit that before i knew it i was like almost putting my credit card in to buy his on combat 70 dollars fucking course respect and this book on combat is his dissertation on all of the relevant things that any human could ever need to know about the world's most dangerous game dave says in his acknowledgement section I'm on the road nearly 300 days a year training military units such as the Green Berets, Marines, fighter pilots, FBI, ATF, SWAT, CHP, RCMP, I don't even know what these are, about the psychology and physiology of combat. We are truly pioneers in this new field of warrior science, TM. He trademarked the word warrior science. This bitch is out to win. Like explorers on a vast new continent, we can identify the general outline of the coasts, some key rivers, and a few mountain ranges. Yet, for all the current limitations, I sincerely believe that future generations will look back on this as a renaissance. Men have been at war for millennia, but only today have we discovered the reality of combat. Now, we are learning about auditory exclusion for most people. The shots get quiet. Slow motion time. Oh my god, I'm watching the bullets like the Matrix. Tunnel vision. Loss of bowel and bladder control. I've got some quibbles about that. And post-traumatic response. This book is focused on empowering warriors to participate in the toxic, corrosive, destructive environment of combat. Today, more than ever, we need virtuous and competent warriors. It is my hope this book can assist them. Combat is not antiseptic or dry. It is just the opposite. It's septic, toxic, wet, with tears and blood. The more we understand this, the more like the more likely 
we will be to explore other options. And I'll also add, be ready to defend ourselves if the time does come. So what he's saying is that war, combat, it's not like Call of Duty. Pew, 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 I got him. It's more like that movie Green Street Hooligans where Elijah Wood is just windmilling punches in those soccer fighting scenes just like a fucking crazy kunt may this book be a humble shrine to all the young warriors across the centuries we will never know those countless young men and women who went willingly into the heart of darkness into the toxic corrosive destructive realm of combat the least we owe them is to understand the nature and to truly understand what we are asking them to do forward by a uh, noted baller of ballers, Gavin DeBecker, we will one day cover his book, The Gift of Fear. Dave Grossman is the leading expert in a subject nearly all people recoil from, killing. You know, I bet there's, I bet there's people with higher kill counts than him, but I'll put forth no one is more qualified to teach us about this. No other book, and that was me, I said that, um, if you couldn't figure it out. No other book has ever been so completely set aside from politics and judgment and revealed so effectively in precise scientific detail what happens when one human kills another. This book will fascinate readers of all types, but it is especially useful for our warriors. Warriors will learn how to keep going even if shot, how to prepare the mind and body for survival instead of defeat, and thus the teachings in this book amount to modern day armor we have a brain that was field tested millions of years ago in the wild i call it i call it the wild brain and distinguish it from the logic brain and sometimes the body and the wild brain is exactly what we need to get through a situation but other times the body can react in ways that are not helpful think of math class in seventh grade if you know what i'm saying <laughs> Shut up. You see the hottest girl you can ever imagine. You go up to her and all logic leaves your mind. Your face turns bright red and the only thing you can think of is you, you want to see me fart with my armpit? Fuck. God damn it, wild brain. Warriors might experience impairments to vision, judgment, and hearing. Or they might experience reduced motor skills and they will likely experience this during violence unless the mind and body are integrated. By the act of teaching warriors what to expect, Dave has given us a new resource to those we ask to fight on our behalf. Thank you, Dave, for this profound gift. Now, Dave has a little strap hanger uh, co-author named Lauren, who's a guy, and he seems cool, but uh, this is Dave's show today. Thanks, Gavin. Good point. Now, uh, a little bit of context, and we're going to jump into this bitch. Now, this book is uh, broken up into sections uh, that I will cover. Uh, four sections. The first is physiology of combat. So, like, what happens to your body? Second is perceptual distortions. It's like, what the fuck? Why is everything going so slow? Third is the call to combat. It's like, why do I just want to taste blood? And then the fourth is um, after the smoke clears. Uh, what we should expect. The price. I talked about PTSD, and, and and we'll likely touch on a little bit of this. But you know, for the average citizen, we're just we're just trying to survive this like great problem to have it's like man it's like i read john d rockefeller's biography and actually i read the first three quarters of it because the last one quarter was like he, he was just complaining that he was getting so many requests for his money that he couldn't figure out a way to donate it all to charity in his lifetime so it's like great problem to have okay 
you survived great we'll figure that out afterwards read the book watch some youtube videos i think it'll be fine very dismissive and i'm totally unqualified so please everyone in the world forgive me into the book if you're in a war you are a warrior are you a police officer soldier a peacekeeper in some distant land or perhaps you've chosen to be a martial arts practitioner or armed citizen seeking to defend yourself or your loved ones in hour of need if there are people who wake up every morning determined to send you and your family into the ground in a box then you're a warrior and you're in and you're in a war and in a war there's only two types of people warriors and victims those who fight and those who are unprepared unable or unwilling to defend themselves since you chose to pick up this book i assume that you walk the warrior's path i'm so fucking on board dave keep it going crime is up in spite of ever better equipment training organization and tactics american fatalities of law enforcement were up 21 percent in 1997 we know that if it would not if it were not for all the body armor worn by our officers fatalities would have easily been double or triple that if this is not a war then tell me what is Fuck. have you ever wondered why police officers wear a shield on their left side it is in direct intentional and overt reference to knights of old back in the day there really were knights who woke up every day donned armor hung a weapon on their hip and a shield on their left side and went forth to do good Gunpowder gun defeated armor and the knights went away. But today, for the first time in centuries, we have warriors who don armor every day, take up their shields, strap on their weapons, and go forth to do good deeds. If that is not a knight, if that is not a paladin, a new order of chivalry, you tell me what it is. We could go generations without doctors, engineers, and mechanics, Dave says. You, you know what? Oh, you got a little bit of crabs? Suck it up. If, however, we went but a single generation without the warriors who are willing to confront human aggression every day, then within the span of that generation, we would truly be both damned and doomed. Now, Dave actually reminds me of my former um, martial arts instructor, Mr. Quinn, which I talked about on mm, Book of Five Rings episode, I believe. He's not quite as wild and crazy as Colonel Cooper, um, but you know, as Colonel Cooper, you know, he, he, he isn't going to say that the, the missing ingredient if you aren't successful in a gunfight was you didn't have enough sexual desire for your rifle. He, he's just more like clinically hardcore. Like I'd be having actual asthma attacks and I would just look at Mr. Quinn and he would just, he would just whisper in my face, you pass out before you die. And I just like, Mr. Quinn, but, but have sympathy, but he, no sympathy, dude. And so that's how Dave is. It's just like a nice professional savage. So where do we get such men and women, the modern day paladins? Well, Dave says we build them, we train them. There can be no more important endeavor for a civilization. The bravest are surely those who have the clearest vision of what is before them, glory and danger alike, yet notwithstanding go out to meet it some greek guy that's a quote uh thukidides 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 t-dog he that's what he said Whew. so that's just the intro get ready i have a feeling it's gonna be a hundred episodes and colonel cooper and dave 
is going to teach us all about this. And I might even like drop in and accidentally call him Colonel Cooper, but I just mean Colonel Cooper more like spiritually, like like that that just archetypal old samurai just teaching us knuckle-dragon baboons how to be men. But I'll try to call you Dave because that's your name. Section one, the physiology of combat. Anything I say on this episode or series, uh, it's not my, I cannot be held responsible. It is the claw. <sighs> combat. The universal human phobia. I introduced the concept of the universal human phobia in papers presented at a bunch of goddamn sophisticated psychology conferences. I don't think he said that, but I have it in quotes, but I think I'm summarizing. But So he, he introduced the concept of the universal human phobia at some psychology conferences. The concept is not controversial, but it does attach a new name to something that is generally well known, nor is it truly universal since it probably affects around 98% of the population? Understand though, that a phobia is much more than a fear. It is an irrational, overwhelming, uncontrollable fear of a specific object or event. For example, roughly 15% of the population has a phobic response to snakes. This means that if I drop the bucket of snakes into a crowded room, approximately 15% of the individuals in that room would, um, don't think he said this either, but freak the fuck out. Upon seeing the mass of squirming, wriggling snakes, a message would shoot directly from their eyes to their feet, bypassing the logical portion of their brains. These unfortunate individuals would run towards the doors without conscious thought, some leaving a trail of unnecessary body mass behind them. I think that means they make shitty. Uh, I have such a good metaphor that I texted my friend. If you're listening to this, you know what it is, but I can't share it because I'll, I'll, I'll go get canceled. Now, quick story. Um, so, my wife and I bought the world's shittiest house. And you know what happens to be in the world's shittiest house? Snakes. And you know what? I happen to also be one of those 15% that would develop a phobic response to snakes. And she is in the whatever percent where all creatures are beautiful. And so she looks at them as like just little noodles. And she's like, why are you scared of noodles? And, and I look at them as these hyper-intelligent tails that just want to return to my ass. They just, want to, they just want to return back to their natural state of being a tail. And just, and just going to like just lunge. And then all of a sudden they're my pants. No, they're my fucking pants. And so, uh, but as we got two, three, four, when I say we, she, uh, got the snakes out. I was going to burn the house down. I will say that I now still definitely don't like them, but like I used to just like not be able to even sleep because I was like, I think that I'm going to fall asleep and you know, the tail's come going to come back home and I'm not going to like it. But now I'm just kind of like, mm, if I could get away with it, I'd burn the house down, but I can't. So just, I assume there's no more snakes, but so 15% of the population is like that but one phobia dave talks about pushes almost everyone to that phobic response and that is interpersonal human aggression that is the true universal human phobia if i walked into another crowded room and emptied a pistol into one of the members of the audience or hacked one of them in half with a machete up to 98 percent of the average audience would experience a true phobic scale response yeah, no shit, Dave. 
Uh, he brings up a good example, though. Consider the case of John Muhammad. And now I love saying little buddy because it's just so degrading and rude, but like can't really be rude because I called him little buddy. So Dave figured that out independently of me. And he says, consider John Muhammad and his little buddy, Malvo, the serial snipers in the Washington, D.C. area in the fall of 2002. Literally millions of citizens in a multi-state area modified their daily behavior because the Beltway sniper was on the loose. So I don't know if everybody remembers that. I kind of loosely do, but I think they, they had like this old Cadillac or whatever. And this one John Muhammad guy like radicalized his little buddy. And like we all have that friend that like, you know, with enough time and just if you guys only hung out, you could definitely convince them to do crazy stuff. Um, so that little guy got got radicalized and then both of them really not nice they started in their like outfitted car to be like a sniper car so like they they drilled holes in it whatever i don't know it's world shittiest summary but they started shooting people and um everybody just modified in you know um, 10 million people modified their daily behavior that's not rational that is irrational that is uncontrollable fear that's a phobia so that's a crazy fucking idea, Dave. Uh, what he's saying is that combat, that's such a foreign thing for most people that it's a, it's akin to having to take the SAT with a bunch of snakes trying to return to their natural habitat crawling around on the floor by your feet. And most people don't realize that in this situation, in this interpersonal aggression, you're going to have this phobic response. And we're arguably... In the most violent times in peacetime history, with the murder rate being held down only by medical technology, and when violence does happen to us, it devastates us. It shatters us. Most of us approach every strange dog with the expectation we might get bit. Likewise, most of us expect snakes to strike. It's what they do. But we do not expect that one of the millions of Americans we interact with in an average lifetime will try to kill us so when someone does try to kill us it is simply not right it's like children are meant to be seen but not heard it's like a child talking and if we're not careful it can destroy us <sighs> good point shit moving to the sound of guns you know you're just like professional at savagery when you know chapter one or two you're just gonna you're just gonna roll out just a hardcore fucking general patent quote like i i give a lot of presentations for work i would just love to just start a work presentation with this quote death must not be feared death in time comes to us all and every man is scared in his first action if he says he's not he's a goddamn liar some men are cowards yes but they fight just the same or they get the hell slammed out of them. The real hero is the man who fights even though he's scared. Some get over their fright in a minute, others take an hour, some it takes days, but a real man, a real man, will never let the fear of death overpower his honor, his sense of duty, and his manhood. And I just wanted to share that quote because I know we're talking about a data warehouse and I think that's a very applicable quote that kind of sums up the thought of getting all your data in one place. Imagine that. Uh, respect. Pass out before you die. Dave says, since police officers and soldiers move towards the universal human phobia, 
intentionally moving into this domain where other human beings will try to hurt or kill them. It is vital they understand that realm and understand combat. You know, we're going to have to Steve Irwin some of these motherfuckers. So we better know about snakes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm trying to keep it together. It's the claw. As firefighters must understand fire, warriors must understand combat. When gunfire pops off, the bunny rabbits, the students, the teachers, the gazelles, the lawyers, and the cockroaches, they're all gone. There's only one individual who moves towards the sound of guns. The warrior. Is there something wrong with these people? Nah. There's something gloriously right with them. Because if we did not have warriors, men and women willing to move towards the sound of guns and control evil within the span of a generation, our civilization would no longer exist. To understand, though, why interpersonal aggression is so toxic, let me first ask you to consider the difference between two scenarios. The first, a tornado rips through your house, sending you and your family to the hospital and destroying your house. The second, a gang breaks into your house, beats you and your family into the hospital and burns your house to the ground. What's the difference? Which one's worse? Let me also throw out, you accidentally sit down on a stool that's upside down, one of the legs whoop, right up the poop chute, or somebody puts one of the legs up the poop chute. Same outcome, what's the difference? Every time I ask this at presentations, the audience answers the same. It's personal. The gang attack or the purposeful poop chute poke makes it personal. The emphasis on the word person, as in human. We process interpersonal human aggression completely differently. It's not a fear of death. We all know that we're going to die, but we want to have some de degree of control over how we die. You know, if I accidentally just negligently have something go up the poop chute, oops. But if, if I can't control it and something's forced there against my will, dog, I'm not okay. It's like that scene in Pulp Fiction where, the, you know, the guy has that happen to him and he's like, hey, are you, you doing okay? And he's like, I'm pretty fucking far from okay. <laughs> I, just, I like that quote. Anyways, we can accept old age or an act of nature, but we cannot accept the thought of someone playing God and choosing to steal ours or our loved ones' lives. One serial killer can change the behavior of a whole city, but over 400,000 Americans will die a slow, hideous, preventable death from smoking. Our warriors are the ones who create this foundation of safety for us all to live. And if we want to keep it, then our warriors must understand this reality. Fuck. So speak to me about this reality, Dave, the harsh reality of combat, what you don't hear at the VFW. I think the VFW is, I think it's like those Mason lodges where old veterans come and drink beer together. It's like veterans, friendship, and weddings. I don't know. I It's like a club, I think. It's kind of like a country club, but you get to shoot guns. I guess. Loss of bowel and bladder control. Now, before we go into this, I will point out on one podcast years ago, Jocko actually mentioned Dave and said this, and Jocko said the sentence, yeah, you know, some people will tell you, you know, on your, on your first action, you're going to piss or shit yourself. And, uh, and I think this is what Jocko, this is a quote from Jocko. Actually, you won't. And I'll add that the tone of that was, you won't unless you're a bitch. So 
I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I clearly these these fellows have way more experience than me. I'm just reporting back. But my guess is that you know over a decade of training for war um, kind of helped Jocko have some instant composure when he finally encountered war. And I'd also imagine that you know if you if you have a colon full of shit or just a bladder brimming with piss, like you're probably more likely to have a little accident. But uh, a warrior must be a master of the realm of combat and as as such he must understand its reality and so uh dave tells a story about to illustrate you know peeing your pants um some principal was talking to a class of kids and then a mouse ran up her pant leg she freaked out and they shut the presentation down and then they like came back and debriefed the kids because like imagine you know a bunch of kindergartners and like the principal like and like sort of taking their pants off like you're gonna have to kind of debrief that with the kids or they're all gonna go back and tell their parents like yeah you know uh mrs johnson just yelled at us and took her pants off like yeah so they sat the kids down and they said we're all fine the principal's fine everybody's fine one student stood up and in wide-eyed kindergarten innocence said you know the most amazing thing of all was how much water came out of that mouse when she squashed it the principal pissed her pants <laughs> good joke dave the moral of the, of the story is that to wet your pants in a situation like this is perfectly natural it's a human response if you have a load in your colon now, now dave that's a pretty fucking weird way of saying that man and i'm just quoting here you know i personally try to avoid getting loads in my colon but you know, I've never been in the military, dude. Uh, but hey, you know, I'm just quoting. If you have a load in your colon, don't expect it to stay there. What do you do if it happens? Well, you keep on fighting. And he says, if you've dealt with injured people as a medic, you know a lot of them piss and shit themselves, apparently. Even the criminals. Um, Lauren, the little strap hanging side author, uh, he tells a story of helping the, the feds do a forced entry to a warehouse huge drug dealer this was his stash point high probability that they're going to get shot at the raid it was a big operation everybody's wearing combat fatigues high-tech weapons body armor how'd the big bad drug dealer react when the officers crashed through the doors yelling and pointing their weapons well he froze cupped his hands to the size of his face squealed like a little girl as a wet spot spread rapidly across the front of his pants and this is a normal stress response. The same thing happens to people in combat. But while a teacher can admit it or even joke about it, the warriors cannot. They're too macho, believing that such things just do not happen to them. When it does happen, they feel shame and think something's wrong with them. An official study in World War II surveyed soldiers and found a quarter of them admitted to losing control of their bladders and an eighth, an eighth, made shitties now i'm gonna point out that i don't know shit dude but i'm pretty sure this gets this gets attenuated made better with training you know there this is no fair comparison but uh bow hunting that's really hard and um i am just now getting like okay with it but i remember seeing my first deer in the wild and i was like 
oh my god there's so many noises why is that there what the fuck am i supposed to do maybe i should poo and like i remember thinking like you know what would help me right here pooing so so like you know but now i've done that enough not pooing but well i mean i'm a professional at that but i've i've done deer hunted enough that now i'm like okay here we go i know you want to poo but you just turn your body in the right direction slowly draw the bow you've practiced this enough i want a good release you can shit in a hole right next to the deer after you kill it let's go smoke it in the heart and then you take a, a nice release and it's fine so I would bet that you know you take a bunch of untrained people and then you throw them into World War II, they're a lot more likely to make accidental pissies and shitties than like Jocko and his friends. But hey man, what do I know? And I, I also learned long ago that you can do anything if you do it with confidence. So my current thinking on this pissies and shitties dilemma is A, probably not going to happen to me. And B, if it does, just play it off. Dude. Nothing's fucking wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've shit in my pants. I just needed to shit. No, I, dude, I didn't shit myself because I was scared. I, I shit myself before they attacked. I'm just, I was just lazy, dude. I'm fucking rich, okay? This, these pants, they're old. I just wanted a new pair of pants. Like, what? You, you want to clean me up? I don't care. You want to be my servant? I did this on purpose. Just, just play it off. <laughs> totally fine. And this whole book is, is like a semi-organized African safari, except instead of like going to the savannah, we're, we're in combat. So he talks about how there are psychiatric casualties. So in uh, World War II, on any given day, there were thousands of psychiatric casualties. So, you know, and, and then the front lines in, in Vietnam uh, lost as many people from psychiatric casualties as from actual casualties uh, worst of all were those rare situations in which soldiers were trapped in continuous combat for 60 to 90 days in those cases 98 percent became psychiatric casualties and, and so i think he's just saying all that to say like hey man if you have to defend yourself and then like you know an engine backfires and you have ptsd symptoms and you're like what the fuck is wrong with me am i, am I a pussy like no dude you're you're just a normal human. 98% of people, they're going to have the same responses. What about those other 2% though? Well, um, this study came back and said that they were the aggressive sociopaths who were apparently having a good time. Um, but recent research has shown that the 2% actually break down into wolves and sheepdogs, which we will discuss later in this book. And so he's basically just saying that as like, hey, most likely you're gonna have some sort of symptoms dude you know it's like you get stung a hundred times on the nutsack by a bunch of bees you're like don't be don't be afraid when your nutsack it's really really hurts but there's occasionally there's some people dude not swollen at all why they're sociopaths and he kind of like doesn't fully commit to this but he, he he's gonna outline a theory that you know, both the evil and the good people have sociopaths, and um, the evil sociopaths are the wolves. You know, they'll, they'll eat the children. The good sociopaths, they're the sheepdogs. You know, they'll protect the children, and then they'll do really, really bad stuff to the wolves. So, um, more to come on that. But if we agree, we are basically no different creatures 
than World War I, II, Korea, Vietnam, we must admit that the same thing could happen to us. The goal of this book is to be better trained and prepared in order to prevent and deal with it when it happens to us. Now, if you remember where we are, we're, we're still in the physiological effects of combat on the, um, on the human body. And so he's now going to talk about um, the nervous system. And dog, I almost can't pay attention to this fucking shit. But like, I'm going to, I, I got some helpful stuff for you. Uh, your nervous system consists of the sympathetic, the SNS, and the parasympathetic the pns and i'll tell you how mature i am like 50 percent of the reason that i can't pay attention to this is pns kind of sounds like penis (laughs) i'm an adult man you know but hey Uh, but apparently these usually work opposite to each other the sns that that's making the heart rate go up you know you're getting you're getting jacked up think of like the metal song or like snorting pre-workout like that's your fucking sns the pns that, that makes everything calm down. The SNS is generally, you know, that's the energy expenditure. You know, that's no more digestion. Let's, let's, let's get some epinephrine here. What about some, what about some serotonin? Uh, let's, let's dilate the bronchial tubes in the lungs. Let's get some more blood in the heart. What, what about, what, what if our muscles got more tense? I'm ready for action. The PNS, and it's associated with relaxation. You know, that's the rest and recover. That's salivation. That's digestion. That's, you know, it's like it's a lazy Sunday afternoon. And you're having a couple claws and you're just recovering for your life. But let's say that you get up and you begin your daily routine and all of a sudden someone tries to kill you. <laughs> well, your body's response is total SNS arousal. PNS process like digestion shut down. Salivation can shut down and result in dry mouth or cotton mouth. Uh, so I actually remember this because it was just like so weird and I'd never experienced this before. But I remember one wrestling match because like I was never very confident in wrestling. But looking back, like I should have been because I just like deconstructed the skill and got way better at it quickly. And I was just meat for a year. But I really only had wrestled like three years and I was having competitive matches or like beating guys who'd wrestled for 10. And so I always was kind of like, oh, maybe I fucking suck. And, and, you know, I'm like, I wish I could go back and just like slap myself in the fucking face a couple times and just, just remind myself to be a kusemono. But, um, so I'd always get like very, very worked up and, and pumped up for matches. And, and I, I also like cut a bunch of weight because I was like, you know what? I'm not a pussy. And so I was like, I could do 152 pounds, even though like now, and I'm a little fat right now, but I weigh like 185. Um, and I remember during a match, like trying to swallow and I had such bad dry mouth that I legit couldn't swallow. And I totally freaked out and it was just like super uncomfortable. But eventually after I'd been there enough, I realized like, Hey bitch, you don't need to swallow, dude. You're not going to die. Like just, yeah, whatever. Your throat feels weird, but y- you know what? You want know whose throat probably feels weird too? Dracula. And you know, he, he's fine. Okay. So you're, you're good. And so let's say we're back in that example where someone tries to kill you. Now you get this, you get this SNS arousal, you know, dry mouth, just like so much adrenaline. Oh. He says, you can also expect a PNS backlash. 
So like you have this massive adrenaline dump, you fight for three minutes, you mobilize a month's worth of hormones and you exert yourself for three whole minutes. Expect to be so tired afterwards. And two interesting examples um, that it really is like, like a double EpiPen to the neck mixed with taking five shots of tequila mixed with like eating a Carolina Reaper. Um, so during the Korean War, a team of psychiatrists accompanied a unit of veteran soldiers in battle. The unit got a good night's sleep and they launched an attack at dawn. Now, imagine being a psychiatrist and <laughs> you're like, you know, I'd like to I'd like to study battle. And how about you're gonna you're gonna embed with a unit and you're gonna launch an attack and uh yeah, so respect. By noon, they had secured an enemy hilltop and the immediate danger was over. The, the psychiatrists were shocked that the officers had to walk around from position to position, waking the troops. So, group of psychiatrists embedded with the unit. They do, you know, dawn, so 7 a.m. to noon, noon. Haha. <laughs> they, uh, you know, just full-on combat. And then they, they get this hilltop. Everybody falls asleep. And the psychiatrists were like, hmm, that does not seem normal. I am very awake right now. You know what? I actually am so awake that I have emailed every one of my contact lists and told them that I do not want to be a psychiatrist anymore. And what the fuck have I got myself into? I'm not going to be able to sleep for three weeks. Everybody's asleep. But the parasympathetic backlash was so powerful that the men had fallen into an exhausted sleep, even though they knew they would soon be attacked. Like, that's not a safe place to take a nap. It's like taking a nap on train tracks. Like, oh, I'll set my alarm. Like, next train's not coming for 40 minutes, dude. I got some time. Like, hmm, let me teach you about fragility. Um, but contrast that with another story where, you know, let's say you don't have enough time to burn off all that adrenaline. Um, some guy says, I had been a Viet I had been in Vietnam as an MP for only a few weeks. Uh, he's going house to house, arresting people, and at the third house, shit gets tense, and they're a hair trigger away from having uh, a situation. Uh, they, they finally got it all figured out, but um, you know he thought he was going to die and have to kill a bunch of people. Two hours later, he's in the mess hall, and he's so wired that he has trouble picking up food with his fork, and when, when he did get something, his hands would shake so hard that the food would fall off. Finally... He says he gave up and he ate with his hands like an animal. He says there were other times like this, some worse, but this was the first. The difference is what happened to the adrenaline dump. The soldiers went through six hours of grueling combat where they burned every drop of adrenaline in their bodies. The police officer had the same adrenaline dump flooding through his body, but his combat only took a few trigger pulls to resolve, leaving him with the adrenaline still surging through his body. Have you ever sat on the edge of your bed at night with your mind spinning, your heart pounding, and your body raring to go? This is what the residual adrenaline does to you. To burn it off, you need to conduct calisthenics, go for a long run, lift some weights. Uh, Lauren liked to kick and punch a heavy bag until he'd burned every last drop of adrenaline. Managing daily stress is vitally important because we are continually bombarded with it. Life and death combat incidents are comparatively rare, but when they do occur, managing the emotional, psychological crisis after the event can also be important. 
And um, the last thing he, I'll, I'll share on this is he, he um, interesting graph where he, he shows that the, he, he graphs the arousal, <laughs> like physiological, nothing sexual, of a cop arresting somebody. And so it is at the highest when he starts to arrest them. So that's like, oh my God, or here we go. And then boom, arrest. And then, you know, gets the person in the car, drives them to the jail. And it's at the lowest when they get to the jail. But think of the inmate. It's at the lowest when they're getting arrested. They're like, man, I'm just trying to do some fucking crack. And then they get arrested by this bitch. And then they're in a car. And then, oh my God, I'm, I'm about to be in fucking jail. You know what I need to do? I need to go out like a man. I need to get crazy. And so um, just basically just saying that to, the, to remind us that the hunt isn't done until you're back in the truck. Napoleon said the moment of greatest vulnerability is immediately after victory <sighs> all hail the claw and with that episode one is down we're still on this safari this safari to an alien land you know we're we're one hour in and we already saw a lion fight another lion while a bear clapped what the hell i've never seen anything like that but they're telling us that there's dragons here they're telling us that like there might even be sirens and geishas and we don't know but if you want to know about that, if you want to see everything on the safari, you're going to have to tune in next time on the next episode of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end. <laughs>